Welcome to Work, Rest, Slay, the podcast for the Image Business Club, where we chat to Ireland's most interesting business leaders in the hope that we can learn from and through their experiences. My name is Melanie Morris and I'm contributing editor at Image Media. As we kick off 2024, I hope you come into this year with energy, optimism and enthusiasm and that all of this will be rewarded. No doubt there will be plenty of challenge and change and new thinking ahead. And for that very reason, we wanted to begin the year by focusing on some of the newer areas of business innovation. And that in particular is the increasing significance of environmental social governance or ESG in our businesses. It's a subject that's often spoken about, but I'm sure many of you will agree it's actually maybe quite hard to know where and how to jump on board what's expected of us, how we can measure performance and what sort of reporting is and will be necessary. So my guest today will certainly bring plenty of light to the topic. Sinead Kelly is a director at PwC in the areas of corporate tax advisory, renewable energy and asset management. She joined PwC in Ireland in 2021 as a director in the financial services tax team. Today, she is the team's sustainability leader with a focus on funding for decarbonisation projects. Together with her team, she supports clients who invest in sustainable business transformation and she helps them navigate the role of tax in the transition to a low carbon future. Sinead's interest in sustainability and climate change started quite early um, in 2010 when she worked with renewable energy companies. She has since completed the sustainability finance course with the University of Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. Sinead is also a recognised thought leader in this space, and so she is the ideal person to help us get beneath the headlines to really understand a sector that's going to become more and more significant to all our roles. So without further ado, let's start the demystification process. Sinead Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our chat this afternoon. Brilliant. And a happy new year, because I think 2024 is going to be a very significant one for the world that you work in. It absolutely is. I think a lot of, you know, people are moving from commitments into action. So it's going to be a really interesting year in terms of what happens around sustainability. Actually, do you know what? I much prefer action to commitment because at least you're on the train and you're doing something. But to get us all off on the same page, um, because I must say I find it quite confusing. There are a lot of initials. There are a lot of acronyms. There are an awful lot of, uh, not slang, but jargon around the sustainability world, which is kind of weird because it kind of jars (laughs) with the idea of it. Could you just give us a few of them to get us all on the same pitch? Absolutely. And I completely agree. It can be really confusing for people out there. So maybe if we just start with ESG, right? So that's environmental, social and governance factors. And really maybe just to give a brief explanation. So if you're looking at the environment from a business context, you're thinking about, you know, what impact does my business have on the environment and what impact does the environment have on my business? It's much more than just climate change. It's things like biodiversity, it's land use, it's waste, it's water usage. So all of those would be kind of taken into account from an environmental perspective. If then we move to kind of social factors, that's looking at, you know, a contribution of a business to fairness in society. 
It's thinking about your company's purpose, your company's values and culture. It's thinking about things like um, tax transparency, diversity, equity and inclusion. And then if we move on to governance, really, that's just about kind of controls and frameworks and processes in place for decision making, for reporting and for ethical behavior. And I suppose together, all of these three factors really provide a range of targets for businesses to become kind of more sustainable, to manage risk and just to add value. So we're a long way away from Gordon Gecko's Greed is Good. It's not just about that anymore. Absolutely. Much more extensive. Um, And then maybe just to move on to, you know, maybe um, CSRD. That's a bit of a buzzword out there at the moment. And that's the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, which I know we'll get on to talk about in a bit more detail later on. And then DNI, that's, you know, diversity and inclusion. So that's maybe just top three kind of acronyms that you might be hearing out there in the market. Brilliant. And as we go on, we'll probably be referring to them so people know where they're they're starting from. Uh, absolutely. Um How do Irish businesses compare at the moment if they're equated to these kind of barometers? Yeah, very tricky question. Okay. Um, But um, I think it's tricky because I think sustainability means different things to different companies, to different sectors, right? Mm. So every company will be looking at it, you know, from a, a different angle. Um, I think lots of Irish companies have made really positive commitments towards sustainability. But I think in conjunction with the rest of the world, right, we all need to start to move now towards action. And I think a lot of the reporting and regulation that's coming down the tracks is really going to drive that. Actually, that's a very good point, because I think for the last few years, We've referenced and we've talked about reporting that's coming down the tracks and we've talked about, oh, you know, the EU have certain directives that they have in place. I mean, am I the only person that doesn't actually know what the framework is around these things or could you give us a little bit more information (laughs) or more solid fact around it? Absolutely. Well, I suppose like a really good place to start, I think, is CSRD or the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. Um, And that really is a cornerstone of the EU Green Deal. And I think that's going to be a real game changer in the market. And the reason for that is that it really puts sustainability reporting on an equal footing with financial reporting. And it's really requiring companies to be much more transparent and report on, I suppose, their environmental impact and their social impact. So really significant. Um, I think when we're out talking to our clients, um, one of the key themes that comes up time and time again is, you know, this is much more than just a data gathering exercise. Mm -hmm. And I think the amount of data that you need to gather shouldn't be underestimated. But equally, it's about a business kind of saying, okay, let's map out my business model, let's map out my value chain, how sustainable is my business today, what are the material, um, and when I talk again about material, maybe I'm, I'm talking about significant environmental factors and social factors that are going to impact my particular business, then you need to think about, you know, what's my ambition, what looks good in a world of sustainability looking into the future, 
you then need to really focus on putting some kind of an action plan or a roadmap in place. And then you need to report on your progress really year on year. And I think it is a reporting regulation, right? But you cannot report your way out of sustainability. But if you're committed to sustainability, you can really drive value through reporting. So I think that's really important to bear Explain in mind. Explain that to me again now. You can't just basically greenwash. Is that what you're saying in exactly. a polite term? In a polite yeah. term, you can't. So you can't just, I mean, you could report and your metrics would be really bad, but it's going to be very transparent that you have a very, let's say, poor ESG profile out there in the market. In terms of companies, I suppose a, a key question we get as well is like who's in scope and when are they in scope? So I think it's really for most large Irish companies, they're going to fall into scope um, reporting in 2026 on 2025 numbers, right? Okay, so we're now in 2024. Next year will be the numbers and they'll be reporting on that. That's It's not that far away, two years. It's definitely not far away. And I think... Um, Companies, when we're out talking to them, realize that there is a huge amount of work to be done in preparation for it because, Mm. you know, there's loads of data to gather. You're looking at your strategy. You're looking at your transformation. You're trying to come up with key performance kind of indicators to measure and track your progress over time. A massive amount needs to be done in that space. And the other bit, which I think, you know, clients can forget about until we're out talking to them is the assurance requirement. So just like financial reporting, where you need an audit trail and controls and processes in place, the same is going to be true for your non-financial data. And again, you can't underestimate the amount of work that's involved in putting those controls and processes in place. And people are going to be needed to do it. Absolutely. Um, I think it's widely recognized, you know, there is maybe a lack of experts in this area. I know an awful lot of effort has been put in place in terms of upskilling. And then, you know, like any businesses, they have many different issues that face them. So it's just, you know, there's time and budget constraints within this as well in terms of, you know, I think, you know, our advice to a lot of clients is you you, you do need to do your roadmap, right? You can't do it all at the one time. And like you're leaving search, you can't cram it all the night before. Absolutely. You need to kind of break it down into bite-sized manageable projects. And that will be very dependent on the facts and circumstances and the resources available to each particular company. I'm going to ask you a little bit more about this in detail, but I suppose now might be a really good time to ask you about you and how you became somebody who knows about all of this stuff. <laughs> can you give us a little bit of um, background on your career? I can indeed. Um, don't know whether I should admit this, but in school, I suppose, um, I was always found accounting really easy. So I went on to do the accounting and finance degree in DCU. Were you a Dubliner? I was not always? a Dubliner at the time. I think my family were living in Mullingar at the time. So great, the age of 17, headed off to Dublin, had the freedom of living away from home. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, made loads of oh, amazing friends and contacts while I was in, in college and doing my DCU course. Um, so then when I graduated, it was actually at a time when the job market was really difficult So I was absolutely delighted to be offered a training contract then with a a firm called Rawlinson Hunter Mazar, um, but it was in their tax team. Um, 
while I was there, I went on and I did my accounting exams and I did my tax exams. Um, and I suppose maybe tax wouldn't have been something, to being very honest, that I would have picked for myself. Well, probably not your 17 or 20 year old self. No, yeah. didn't particularly enjoy it in college, if I'm very honest. Um But having said that, I have absolutely no regrets in terms of, you know, sticking with tax for most of my career to date. And I think the reason for that is that, you know, tax needs to be considered for most business decisions. And I think as tax practitioners, it's really important for us to understand the commercial issues and challenges that our clients face as much as being able to kind of advise them on the tax side. And I think that's the bit that I love about my job, that, you know, you're learning about different companies, you're learning about different industries and sectors. So it's interesting and it changes all the time. Um, Then I would say like throughout my career, I would have started doing just lots of personal tax returns. Then I would have moved on working with IT companies, property companies, I would have spent a period of time doing kind of mergers and acquisitions work, management buyouts. And then in 2010, which is probably where my love of sustainability started, I started to work with a number of renewable energy companies. Um, And that kind of broadened out then into, I suppose, decarbonization and sustainability Gosh, so more generally. The vanguard. This would have all been quite new at that stage, wouldn't it? It was very new. Um, I suppose people were beginning to talk about it, in particular the role of finance and, you know, finance and how that was needed to kind of, I suppose, reach net zero um, and deal with climate change more, I suppose, broadly. Um, and I think, you know, just you know, I would have listened to lots of really interesting people who were, you know, I suppose they started their journey early and were very outspoken in the space. Um, And then, yeah, it was just really interesting watching businesses engage and, you know, how they could be, you know, I suppose maybe how they could help solve the issues that we we were facing. Um, And renewable energy companies, I suppose it gave me a really good insight into the sector, you know, the difference they were making. And, you know, we got involved in some of the business issues they were facing, both in an Irish context and overseas as well. So were you working as a consultant or were you in the business? No, I would have been working as a consultant, so a tax advisor. Right. Um, But again, as I mentioned, you know, quite often, you know, tax feeds into some of those commercial decisions. So we would have been kind of working very closely with a lot of the the renewable energy developers at the time. Did you stay in Ireland through your career? I didn't. I spent, I did that, you know, usual year in Australia. Oh, lucky you. Absolutely. Um, And actually, it's funny, I decided I was absolutely not going to take a tax job when I worked out there because I wanted to, you know, test it and see, is tax really for me? So I worked in a big investment bank and we kind of worked with two IT developers kind of testing a profit share system that they were trying to develop and put in place. And then we got to run it for the first year. Oh, wow. So it was amazing. We got to meet loads of, you know, the really influential, um, I suppose, business people within the organization. 
Um, I did decide at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the year that no, I think I you know I enjoyed it, but I was happy to return to the tax world. <laughs> I was going to say it's not it's still not bar work or <laughs> no. hair braids on beaches or anything like that. You <laughs> no. stayed in the profession. I stayed in the profession mm. so that we could earn enough money then to spend about four months traveling. Oh, so lovely! That was absolutely oh, absolutely amazing. And you know, I suppose I have three girls, and as much as I'd hate them to go overseas, I would absolutely kind of encourage them to go. Fantastic experience, meeting new people and then even learning, you know, I suppose business in different jurisdictions. Mm. I think that's really important as part of your career. I also think when you do it younger in life, you get to sit in on more meetings. You get to meet different types of people. You get to work between different sectors and departments. Whereas when you get a little bit more qualified or a little bit further on, People aren't quite as open to sharing at that stage because people have their paths already furrowed, haven't they? That's that's true. Absolutely. And I think that's it. You know, you go in, you you kind of learn, I suppose, especially I suppose when you're more junior in your career, you know, you have a lot more to learn. People are very open to sharing information. And even I would have done a stint in Luxembourg, which Again, was really interesting working with a lot of UK and US companies out there. Was that before or after Brexit? Um, that was well before Brexit. Okay. Um, Be interesting to go back now and see how things compare. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but again, fantastic. Like I got to go on loads of different training courses all around Europe. Um, and then from a personal perspective, used it as a base to travel, which was which oh, was fantastic. good. So when and how did you end up in PwC? <laughs> So in 2021, I joined PwC. Um, so I kind of was offered a role leading out on sustainability within their financial services You'd tax done a team. degree at that stage, am I right? Well, I had done a course. So I went to, I had a short window of time between my old job and moving to PwC. Um, and a really good friend of mine had recommended a course with the University of Cambridge in sustainable finance. Um, and it was a short course, so I think it was eight weeks or 10 weeks, but oh, that was just amazing. It gave me such a really good base of knowledge before I moved into PwC. It really gave me a sense of, you know, where does sustainable finance fit into, I suppose, the financial ecosystem. Tell us about the sort of clients that you deal with in PwC now, because obviously you're bringing this expertise Yeah. So I suppose it is, um, I obviously still sit within the tax team, but even within the financial services team, like I would touch on maybe the asset management group, the real estate group, the aviation group, the insurance group, the banking group. So my work is really varied and it could be anything from maybe working on, you know, with some of the guys on the environmental tax side, looking at, you know, the impact of environmental taxes and carbon taxes on a business. We also do a lot of work around the incentive and grants piece. So there's lots of different grants out there in the markets for companies investing in decarbonization as well as tax incentives. Um, with CSRD as well, you know, there's a tax angle to that in terms of, you know, tax becoming um, and forming part of your sustainability reporting. Um, we look at, you know, maybe funding of decarbonization projects and make sure that, you know, we've taken all the tax implications into account there. I also work with big investment funds who are looking at investing in renewable energy projects. So, 
we'd be helping them look at the tax implications on investment, you know, what we think the tax implications will be like maybe on exit in a couple of years time. And then also looking at maybe the profile of the companies that they're investing in. And we do what's called tax due diligence work, which is really assessing their tax risk profile, making sure they've paid all the taxes they should have. So very, very varied. Um, But I also then, because I think sustainability, like I mentioned earlier, you know, that doesn't just impact one element of your business. It's everything. It's operations, it's procurement, it's HR, it's finance, it's tax, it's legal. So like that, when I moved into PwC, I spent a lot of time getting to know my tax colleagues, but also getting to know my colleagues outside of tax. So my colleagues working in consulting and in kind of um, assurance and reporting. Um, And the reason for that is I think it's really important, you know, that we as tax practitioners feed into the work that we do or that they do, sorry, um, because, you know, we won't necessarily drive a lot of the sustainability projects, but we can add a significant amount of value. So it's really important you know, that we understand the type of work that they are doing. I see you almost working in a type of a three-dimensional or even a (laughs) four-dimensional matrix with all the different departments and you're somewhere between tax and sustainability, literally bouncing between the lot of them, tying the loose ends together. That's absolutely it. And even within PwC, you know, like tax has become so specialised Um, So there's even a coordinating role, you know, there's environmental taxes and you'll have people who specialize in that. And then you might have somebody else who works on, you know, one of our transfer pricing teams that are looking at supply chains and changes and, you know, the impact that that might have from a tax perspective. You might have somebody else doing, you know, mergers and acquisitions work that I, I spoke about earlier You have indirect tax and, you know, that has, again, a significant impact from a sustainability perspective. So, you know, it is really good that you have somebody who can pull everybody together. um, And in that way, we can absolutely deliver, I think, the best service then to our clients. I'm laughing here thinking about how your role as mother of three three teenagers (laughs) also probably helps with this. One of the things you had mentioned to me, and, and I wasn't aware of it, and it's really interesting to hear how you pull it together, is the effect of the US Inflation Reduction Act and how that affected Irish tax. And I mean, I think this is the kind of magic you bring to the table. Can you explain that to us a little bit? Because it's interesting. I can. It's interesting. Well, I suppose, you know, tax policy, I would say um, that does play a big role in this, especially under the environmental pillar. And I suppose when you think about climate change, Um, And that can be, you know, you can have a carrot approach and you can have what we call a stick approach. So Mm. stick, maybe before we go to the Inflation Reduction Act, is very much around, you know, even think about our plastic bag levy, right? Um, That changed behaviors. And coffee cup levy, please let them bring it in. Absolutely, Mm. totally agree with that. Um, But, you know, most of us now when we go shopping, we use our reusable you know, shopping bag. And that's because we were being forced to pay for the plastic bags. And the same with carbon tax on fossil fuels. Again, that's encouraging us all to switch to kind of more renewable energy sources and electric vehicles and that type of thing. So in the US, um, they brought in um, this US Inflation Reduction Act, which is more to do with climate change than it does um, inflation. So it really is the largest investment in Um, I suppose, by the federal government in the US in clean energy. 
And it's really clever. What it does is it brought in a whole range of tax credits, subsidies and other provisions, which are all geared on reducing carbon emissions and creating new green jobs. Um, And I think it was really clever because it has really helped to move investment into the US market all focused on kind of decarbonization and reduction of carbon emissions. Um, And what it also did, which was also really clever, I think, is it really kind of combined the environmental pillar and the social pillar. So what I mean by that is for some of the tax credits, it said, okay, you have a base rate of a tax credit. But if, for example, you locate your project in a low income area, we will bump that up a bit further. And if you create new green jobs, we'll also bump that up a bit further. So that did have a significant impact in terms of the money and investment and projects. But um, I suppose at EU level, um, we have also introduced our own provisions And I think that's been as a result of the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, but also developments in other countries as well. Um, And we have the Green Deal Industrial Plan, which effectively kind of gives kind of subsidies and kind of, I suppose, a relaxation of certain financing mechanisms for investment in renewable energy, in the supply chain and in the kind of energy infrastructure more broadly. So I think I suppose it's a really interesting time to be involved in tax and to watch that. Um, And I think even the Irish government in there was the climate action plan was um, the updated one was released just before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And within that, they kind of do recognize the role that tax policy pays in kind of, I suppose, changing behaviors and ensuring there's a just transition Um, reducing carbon emissions and in particular that mobilization of private finance because you know I suppose the scale of investment needed I think I heard one stat of something like four trillion um, annual investment to make net zero you know globally no 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 globally globally. but like you know even within the Irish market there is a really significant investment needed that can't be all from public you know, sources. So you need the private investment. So I think uh, very interesting to watch what happens over the next couple of years. Two things strike me. I mean, number one, that it's interesting that the Americans are the people leading the chase, because you would not expect that from what we hear coming over the pond. And secondly, that it really pays to stay tuned in to what's going on, because these are the kind of things that maybe an awful lot of business people don't have the bandwidth to absorb or don't even know they need to absorb it. So do you think the Irish government is good at informing and, you know, supporting any initiatives or where do we stand globally? No, I think the Irish government, they are very supportive and there is certainly, I suppose, a lot of supports out there for business. And I think myself, even over the last six months, you know, certain even ads on the radio I've heard. And I thought, oh, there's a, a new interesting, you know, website that the government are are promoting. So that's really positive. Um, so for business, I suppose, in particular around, um, I suppose, anybody looking at that net zero decarbonization, there's lots of resources out there. You know, I'd refer people to obviously your tax advisors or your, you mm. know, financial advisors who can help you. But failing that, there is the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland or the SEAI have a really good website 
where they list a lot of kind of businesses where people are focused on kind of the energy transition within their businesses. Um, the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment have a specific section where they kind of talk about SMEs and the various different supports that are available. And I've also seen a really good website um, around Enterprise Ireland as well. So lots of supports out there for businesses. I think there's a real focus in, and in particular a recognition around the SME structure sector that they might need a little bit of of help in that regard. Well, thank you for bringing up the topic of SMEs, because that was the next thing that I wanted to ask you about. And it's going back to our 2026 deadline. Are SMEs going to be included in on that? So uh, again, a really good question. So SMEs are not directly going to be subject to those reporting requirements in 25 and 26, but there is a number of really good reasons why they need to address sustainability within their businesses. And I suppose the first of those is if we go back to CSRD. Um, Which just to remind us is Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. Very good. Right. That's it. <laughs> a bit of a mouthful. Um, so companies that are in scope of that reporting requirement are not only required to report on their own sustainability metrics, right? Mm -hmm. They're re also required to report on the sustainability metrics in their supply chain. Ah, okay. Okay. So that's their customers and their suppliers. So if you are an SME, and we have already seen examples of this um, in our work where you might have a big multinational company that's within scope of the directive, they are in certain cases already reaching out to some of you know their suppliers and customers in the SME sector and requesting those sustainability metrics. So just to give it a little bit of context, say it was a huge, big supermarket chain. Yeah. They would be looking to the artisan producer, the SME, Absolutely. for that information. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so it, it becomes really important. And some companies are saying, look, this is going to be a condition of doing business with me in the future. So absolutely, we say a lot, I suppose, in our world, there is no such thing as business as usual anymore. You really do need to be factoring in sustainability into your business. Now, look, that's not all doom and gloom, right? There's loads of opportunities out there. And I think, you know, businesses that are, you know, really looking to see, well, how can I make my products and my services more sustainable are going to have a real competitive advantage so in this the market. So the carrot as opposed to the stick. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think, you know, there's a lot in the media out there about the risks, but, you know, don't underestimate the opportunities that are available out there as well. And look, there's other reasons as well. Businesses need to be in the SME sector, need to be thinking about it. So I think, you know, access to finance is going to become, you know, more challenging for companies that have poor ESG profiles. Um, and the reason for that is that, you know, investors, banks and any kind of providers of capital, they will be taking ESG factors into their investment kind of decision making process. So if you have a really bad ESG score, I think you're going to find it more difficult to access capital in the future. And even if you do, it's going to be more expensive. Um, and then the other reason is all around climate change. I think even today coming in on the train, um, you know, we talk about Ireland having in 2023 being the warmest year going back, I think, 124 years. 
Um, we think it was even a hundred thousand years. Were they saying on the news? Oh my goodness! Yeah, they were saying it goes like it's a it's a huge significant impact. Yeah, it is. And then I think we've all seen right severe flooding. And I think the thing to remember is that, you know, I suppose the impact of adverse kind of climate and weather conditions that has a real financial impact for business. So I think businesses also need to be kind of considering, you know, what impact will climate have on my business? And that could be looking at, you know, potential damage to business assets. It could be around kind of supply chain interruptions, transport interruptions, maybe lost labor, insurance, um, insurance yeah. cost. Absolutely. So all those factors, I mean, you need, really need to be planning now to make your business more resilient into the future. And again, to flip to the opportunity side, because I'm all about positivity, you know, there's also opportunities there in new climate technology, green innovation, you know, green R&D, all of that space as well. Shanae, could you give us sort of for, for an SME, one or two tips that you might suggest that, you know, it, a, a gentle way in, but things that maybe we could be actioning rather than sitting and worrying about? Absolutely. Well, I think maybe a good starting point, I think, for every business is, look, map out what's your business model, what's my supply chain, right? And then from there, you can try to work out, you know, what are the environmental impacts on my business and what are the social impacts that I need to take account of? And, you know, like quite often there'll be, you know, a bigger company in your sector out there. Many companies are already publishing sustainability reports. So, you know, maybe take a look at some of those and see, you know, where they're going. What are the themes that they're thinking about that might be helpful to you in working out where you need to go? I then think you need to kind of involve everybody in that process. So, you know, you might have a finance team or a HR team. They should all be brought into that. Absolutely. Operations, procurement, anything that you're working on. And it should be very much a collaborative approach when you're looking at sustainability. I would then say, you know, spend a bit of time thinking about what looks good. What's my ambition? And then break that down into an action plan or a roadmap. Um, be very realistic about, you know, how much time do I have? How many resources can I give to this? Um, and then just break it down into really small bite-sized, you know, projects. Everybody is going to make progress, hopefully over time. Everybody will do it at their own rate, but, you know, make sure that you kind of, I say, set smart goals, like make sure they're realistic, they're time measured, they're achievable. And then just start working your way through that. Absolutely like prioritizing, you know, obviously the the issues that will have the most significant impact first. Um, another suggestion is there are loads of really good sustainability conferences out there. And I've found, you know, companies that have started on this journey, they're very willing to share their experiences, including the war stories. It's a really, they're really good forums for meeting other people who are very invested in the space and just learning. And you'll be able to even get two or three takeaways, you know, that you can bring back with you. Um, even in PwC, we do a lot around thought leadership. So log on to our, our website. There's, you know, a lot of information that we have up there as well. Can I ask about initiatives or organizations to join? Or I've heard a lot about B Corps recently that you might explain <laughs> what that is or 
Any, any other initiatives you think might be worth looking up? Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose, again, I think I would be saying to companies, you know, spend a bit of time looking out in the market. There are lots of different organizations. There's lots of certifications. I think the one that suits your company will be very much dependent on the facts and circumstance, your own facts and circumstances. So, you know, maybe do some research into them and then maybe it's sometimes you'll see lists of companies who are members. So maybe chat to them as well, just in terms of, you know, what's involved. Um, And I'll come to that. Some of them, you know, there's a good bit of work involved in terms of getting certification, which you just need to make sure you're prepared for right before you embark on that at that process. But like two of the ones just off the top of my head, maybe that I've come across one is business in the community. Um, And that kind of focuses very much on businesses that are committed towards sustainability, kind of lower carbon and kind of being inclusive. So, again, buying into all of those kind of key sustainability metrics. They have a really good website and I think they do events as well. So, you know, you could have a look at that. And then B Corp, I think we've seen a lot about B Corp in the media at the moment. And that's a global certification very much requires companies to be able to demonstrate, I suppose, both their commitment and legitimacy around kind of sustainability. Um, so again, I think there's a bit to do in kind of preparing to become a B Corp, but there are a number of Irish companies that have that certification now. Um, and yeah, depending on your business, um, just have a look and consider the various different options. I'm just thinking for those of us that are sort of pressure led and time led and commitment led, maybe going for something like these type of organizations are getting registered or approved or whatever. Um, it's a good way of actually doing the due diligence yourself. So if you're having trouble trying to factor it into the day, literally just because you think you should, if you have a reason for doing it and you've got a, a badge <laughs> at the end, <laughs> maybe it might be a good, a good way to look at things. Absolutely. And I think, you know, provided your business is committed to that, it is a really good decision to to make. And I think, look, we all have to start somewhere. Mm. Um, and it depends on what, you know, there's so many regulations out there, so many reporting requirements, some are mandatory, some are voluntary. I think each business needs to decide what it needs to, to prioritize. For some, it might be the reporting that they need to do under CSRD. For others, they might feel it is looking at, for example, like a B Corp certification. So I think, yeah, it's up to each business to kind of assess what works best for their yeah. business going forward. And then I suppose thinking that there could actually be a tax advantage to it too. So to talk to your your consultant. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and there are lots of opportunities, right, um, in the tax space, um, grants, funding, you know, so it's really, I suppose, important that if you are going that down that road, especially if you're investing in decarbonization projects, you're not leaving benefits behind on the table. So absolutely talk to come and talk to us in tax. <laughs> um, can I ask you, what did you think of COP28? Because I mean, firstly, I think it happened at a bad time of year because we're all grinding to the end of the year and everyone's a little bit short tempered anyway. But um, you might have been studying it a little bit closer than the rest of us. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, you know, there's probably mixed messages coming out of COP28, you know, some a lot of positivity. I suppose, you know, there's a, a recognition that we have, you know, a much shorter window to try and limit long term global temperatures to that one and a half degrees. So I think 
very much the message is kind of focused on the urgency around climate change. I think there was a lot of collaboration between public and private sectors, which is good because I think we need both to work together to be able to even just finance the transition that needs to to happen. Um, I think it was also positive and it's something that we're beginning to see more of is that, you know, we can't solve climate without nature and then the other way around as well. So nature is becoming more important um, and again, that was a message that was coming out of COP. A little bit disappointing that there maybe wasn't more on the finance side. But having said that, I think that's going to be a key focus for COP29, which takes place this year. Do you know, it comes back to that great business idiom. Have the conversation now to stop future you having to have the conversation <laughs> in, in the future, you know, and maybe the COP 29, eight people should have remembered that and not pushed it to the, cur- the curb for a year. <laughs> I know. Um, are there many women in the ESG role or how, how do we f- figure in the big picture? Um, I think there, you know, we are well represented within sustainability, but maybe the challenge as more people become embedded in sustainability is to retain that position right going forward. Um, so I think, you know, like in any, I suppose, sector or business, the challenge can sometimes be keeping, I suppose, that level of diversity as you progress through the ranks in an organization Um, So I think, you know, we need to really work on, I suppose, having flexibility around our career paths and kind of recognizing that, you know, there might be a period of time and that can be for men and women where you need to take a step back for a time. But you still when you decide and you have the time to step back in, you can still add huge value to organizations and that, you know, you're as equally kind of ambitious career wise as you would have been maybe when you when you started out. So, you know, I think that whole theme around um, diversity and inclusion is really, really, really important from a business perspective. Um, Well, it's interesting to hear you speak about that because I know you put your not necessarily your money, but your time where your mouth is and that you have a lot of pro bono work that you do with younger businesswomen. Can you tell me, you know, where where you find happiness in all of this or where you find (laughs) fulfillment? Um, Well, I think, you know, it's really important to give back. um, And that's something that I think I've grown up with. Um, So I've been really lucky. I've had opportunities, um, both, you know, young women at university through some of the maybe the Enactus programs, um, just kind of acting as a bit of a sounding board with some of those young students, which is hugely rewarding. Um, And then also I was lucky enough to do a bit of work as well with Social Entrepreneur Ireland um, over the years and mentoring one or two of their award winners, um, which again, oh my goodness, you you meet these people, they have such inspiring ideas. Um, And I think I nearly learn as much from them as I'd say they learn from me. Um, But I think sometimes, you know, you think about this mentoring and coaching and you wonder, oh, I'd never be able to do it. But but quite often it's just being kind of somebody there to listen to issues and problems. And sometimes people will work it out just by sitting down and having a conversation with you and saying it out loud. And sometimes it's as simple as connecting them with other people or, you know, referring them to other people that, you know, have come across similar issues. So, 
it's hugely rewarding. I think it's hugely important um, because I think, you know, at different stages of our careers and maybe ideas, you just need different sounding boards. So it's amazing to be able to give back in that way. Uh, I want to go back to something you were saying that I think is so relevant when you think about um, the the word of a sustainable career. And by that, I mean, when you can start at 18 and carry on until you're whatever age you may want to be, that there will be hills and troughs. It's not all about go, 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 is it? That's right. Um, And I suppose personally, from my perspective in my career, you know, there was a number of years where I had to kind of more or less, I was just going in, doing my job, coming home again, then trying to manage three girls at home. Not easy. Um, But I think, you know, we should recognize that um, Could you for give everybody. Could you more detail about the, the, that time as to why that happened? Yeah, no problem. So I suppose um, I would have, um, my husband would have passed away when my oldest daughter was 12 and my youngest was four. So, you know, very difficult and challenging time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was glad, to be honest, that I, I would have been working part time um, three days a week when it happened. And I was very glad that I was working because I think if, you know, you're in that situation and then suddenly had to go back into the workplace, that would have been very challenging. But honestly, you know, I would have just gone into work, done my job, left. My head was so full. I couldn't even think about anything else or career. And I suppose I'm very grateful that my employer would have been very supportive of me during that time and gave me all the time that I needed um, but I think now, look, my girls are are older now. I have more time um, and I think I can, you know, turn my attention maybe with a little bit more focus on my career, which I think is equally important for them to see because they need to, I suppose, appreciate that, you know, I have a life so they can go and do whatever they want to do in, in the future as well. Absolutely. And having come through a certain amount of that stage now, looking back, have you any tips for people who might be, or for women especially, who might be at that kind of grind time mm. and maybe not really knowing, can they reach out to people or how should they approach it? And any, any insights you can share? But I think if you can find maybe in particular somebody in your organization who kind of has gone through that phase, right? Um, and that might be just juggling the kids and the work bit, you know, so, you know, absolutely reach out to them because I think when you're going through it yourself, um, you're so busy and, you know, trying to juggle everything in your head, it's very hard to see the wood for the trees. Mm, mm. But I think if you can talk to somebody who has experienced that themselves, they will have loads of tips and be able to, you know, guide you through it. Make sure that you're still setting goals for yourself, which, you know, I used to be really dismissive of, but I'm now a firm believer because I do think that helps you in terms of keeps you focused um, in your career. So, yes, I would absolutely say reach out to people, you know, within your organization or outside who, you know, you know, can give you that support and kind of coach you and and mentor you through that. I think we've all really become... I don't know, kind of, we, we all think we have to be able to have all the answers at the precise moment that they're needed and to be able to tick every box just as it needs to be ticked. But life is a bit messier than that, isn't it? Absolutely. It's like nothing is perfect. And I think, you know, a career just doesn't go from A straight to B. I think you do zigzag along the way and people should be allowed to yeah. zigzag along the way. It's all about work-life balance and 
things being right at particular times. So, And I think you pick up really interesting things in the journey from A to B that maybe you mightn't pick up if you'd <laughs> taken a straighter route. <laughs> Absolutely. And mm. I think you do realise, you know, there is, um, I suppose, more to, to life than just work. And it is all about having the balance, um, whatever that may be. And, you know, my balance might be different to your balance and we need to recognise that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me who you look up to in, in the industry or in the business world. Is there anyone who um, who comes to mind? Um, lots of people. Um, I suppose in particular, you know, I suppose I would admire a lot the work that maybe Mary Robinson does. I think she is yeah. an incredibly inspirational leader and all that she has achieved in her career. Um, in particular, maybe the work that she's doing with the elders, like she's an amazing advocate for, I suppose, gender diversity and climate justice. She very much has a global platform. And also, I think she's not afraid to speak out when she feels, you know, things aren't working the way they should be working or we should be moving in a, a particular direction. Um, and I think it was absolutely fantastic. She won the Lifetime Achievement Award in 2023 at, at the, the Image PwC Businesswoman of the Year. Exactly. Yeah. So, so well deserved. So I would absolutely follow a lot of the work that she does. I think she's amazing because she's a woman who there have been various stages of her professional career. She could have jumped off. But she didn't. She just went and jumped on something else. <laughs> and also, yeah. if it weren't for Mary Robinson, would any of us know who the elders are? Absolutely. Like she's a math, like she's brilliant in terms of being the spokesperson, I think, you know, and she has pivoted in terms of the different, you know, areas she's worked in, but she has, I think she's, you know, she's just interested in learning and understanding and finding solutions, mm. which I think that's what we really need out there in today's world. And she's a woman that proves it doesn't matter what age you are or what stage you are in your career. There's always another chapter. Absolutely. And that is really important. I think, you know, I suppose we're an aging population. You know, we all, I think, will be in the workforce for much longer in our careers. Um, but I think it's really important to understand that, you know, we have a significant amount of value that we can contribute at all stages of our career. Brilliant. Any suggested reading, any YouTube clips, any TED Talks, any books, <laughs> any people to follow on LinkedIn or that you would recommend that we take out of this conversation? Oh, God, there's so much out there. Um, absolutely. First, have to refer you to PwC and our thought leadership series. Um, personally, um, I find a lot on LinkedIn, just following different people, organizations. There's um, a wealth of information there as well. Um, have a look out for, you know, there's some quite good e-learns out there and again, sustainability um, conferences and webinars as well. And I think every time you go to one of those, you'll come across somebody who's a speaker and you'll follow them and then you'll see other people that they follow maybe on LinkedIn. So that's um, a really good resource. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's like um, Enterprise Ireland has a very good website and um, the World Economic Forum produce some really good and interesting papers as well. So, you know, start small. I think if you're a business and SME as well, maybe having a look at some of the, as I mentioned earlier as well, just sustainability reports that some of the bigger companies are beginning mm. to produce, because I think that gives you an idea and you're able to picture in your head, you know, what should I be thinking about? What should I be capturing within um, my sustainability 
thought process in terms of, you know, what's relevant for my business. Brilliant. Uh, you have a big event coming up in February, don't you? Can you tell us about that? We do. So I'm really excited. Um, we are doing a Women in Sustainability Network event. Um, so we're hosting it on the 1st of February. Um, what I'm really excited about is it's going to be kind of a, an informal networking event. And that's taking kind of women in every aspect of sustainability. So working in tax in legal kind of embedded in businesses, on the operations, on the procurement side. And it's kind of just an informal kind of event where we can all network, share experiences. Um, and at our first one, we have invited Dr. Val Cummins in to kind of do a fireside chat. She's the chief impact officer in Simply Blue. So I'm really excited to hear um, her thoughts a bit like today around COP28, Ireland's climate action plan and just her career path as well. So we're hoping it'll be the first of many um, and we're really excited about it. I'm going to ask you a few very quick fire, lighter, lighter questions, but just to get a better Amazing. sense of you as a businesswoman. So Sinead Kelly, um, what is your favourite way to entertain for business? Is it a power breakfast? Is it a lunch? Is it a drink? Is it... A digital chat or an online chat? Um, I think I love actually breakfast meetings. I think it's Me a really too. good way to start your day. And you know what? Even in the summer, like grabbing, you know, your breakfast and having a nice little walk before before you start work. Um, that would be my favourite. Brilliant. And is there anywhere, if you're going to be doing a breakfast meeting with a client or somewhere, is there anywhere you love to go to in Dublin or in, Dub in Ireland? In Ireland. I think it's probably just locally around kind of coffee shops around PwC, but we also have an amazing hospitality suite where we bring our clients in quite often as well. And we do breakfast meetings there too. I had, an, actually we had an image event up there after the Businesswoman of the Year Awards. It has the most amazing views. It absolutely does. And I think we're so fortunate to have that facility available to us. So <laughs> we do use that quite a bit. <laughs> and I would imagine every single guest is like me and says, I'm really sorry, I've got to whip out my camera and take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, your work uniform, if you need to throw on clothes that you know are going to work, what do you like to wear? Um, I would be a dress and jacket person primarily, um, but I love in PwC as well, we have a dress for your day policy. So if I have a day where I don't have any meetings, I can quite often come in in my more casual clothes, which I think is brilliant. Uh, do you open seating in the office or how do you organise all of that? Because it's a huge office. It is a huge office and it's funny in my prior life, I would have always had an office. And it was one thing when I was moving to PwC, you know, I was thinking, oh my goodness, open plan. How am I going to, you know, cope with that? But I absolutely love it. Um, and I think the reason being is that there's no divide. Do you know the way, like I could be sitting beside a first year trainee and they could quite happily turn around and ask me a question Whereas if you have to get up and go in through a door, I think it creates a little bit of a barrier. So I must say now I'm a real proponent of the open plan. And are you a work from home girl or do you like going into the office? I do a bit of both. Um, so I would um, work from home in particular on days where I might have a report that I need to do and I might just need to kind of put my head down and focus but I equally think because we have a lot of trainee accountants and trainee tax advisors that it's really important for us to be in the office as well, because I think, you know, you learn a lot from being at meetings, seeing how people deal with and respond to questions. 
you know, and I think one of the biggest learnings I give my team is it's okay to say, I don't know. And it's much better if you're out with a client and they ask you a question, you know, to say, I don't know, I just need to go back (laughs) and check it with my colleagues. So little bits like that, I think you can, you can pick up. And again, you only get that confidence by doing, isn't that right? Absolutely. And seeing other people do that. Sinead, if you could wake up tomorrow with one new skill that you don't already have, what would that be? Yeah, that's difficult. Um, But I think I'm a bit of a technophobe. And (laughs) I really, I think, you know what, look, I think technology is going to be an absolute game changer. If you think about Gen AI and all that involves, it's really exciting. Even in the sustainability world, you know, the way I think we're going to be relying on technology a lot to gather the data. So I would love to be well first in digital skills. A tip on networking. Do you do much of it? And have you any tips? I mean, I think all women are terrified at the thought of walking into a big business event. They are. And it's funny, you know, like I think networking and when we talk about networking, it's not just walking into those big events, right? It's Picking up the phone to somebody you were in college with that, you know, is in working in the same sector. It's about maybe reaching out to people like even in clients that you work with. Um, And then I think, you know, for those big network events, everybody is in the same position. So quite often I have a quick scout around a room. And if I see somebody standing on their own, I just walk up to them and you start a conversation. And the next minute you could have 10 people around you. So I think we make it out to be more than it is. And, you know, it's we make it into this big thing, but really we need to push ourselves to do it because I think once you start, you realize everybody's the same and everybody's happy to kind of chat and engage. Absolutely. And I think guys have had the the advance on us for a few years or a few generations and they're out on their golf. I'm generalizing, of course, here, (laughs) but they've got quite good at the networking. So it's up to us now too. To match Absolutely. Them. Uh, if you could only campaign or work with one charity uh, sector for the rest of your life, what would it be? I think because it's a cause very close to my heart and we've seen firsthand the absolutely amazing work they do, it would be the hospice working with. They are absolutely incredible. Like I'd say just the support they provided at the time to my family you know, just unbelievable. And, it, you know, both to my husband, but then also to me and to my girls and extended family. I think they do incredible work. Brilliant. Brilliant. So for the year ahead, any particular wishes or dreams? (laughs) Ooh, another hard one. I would say, you know, very much focus on good health, happiness, Um, And then also new opportunities. I think, you know, that's exciting. I think life is constantly evolving and changing. And I know for me, I'm very much looking forward to 2024. Well, I think, yes, opportunity is the spice of life, isn't that it? Absolutely. Brilliant. Sinead Kelly, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. I think that was a very enlightening hour. And my overall takeout is that now really is the time to get going on creating a sustainable and inclusive work agenda while we're all pretty much together at the starting line. Huge thanks to Sinead for sharing all of that information so clearly, concisely and generously. There's a lot of a big body of work there. um, And thanks to her for sharing. Thanks also to producer Fergal Curtis and in image to Sophie Power. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, we'd be so grateful if you'd subscribe, rate and or comment on whatever platform you're listening. 
Looking forward to all that's ahead in 2024 and to having you with us.